Welcome to Some Assembly Required, a bi-weekly design podcast where we discuss a range of topics from tech, industrial and product design, and sustainability. I'm Pablo Samoilis. And I'm George Wyeth. We're both product designers from the University of Sussex. We sure are. And this is Episode 7, Red Rover. Last week, we discussed the technique of nudge design with its pros and cons. Be sure to check out that episode and any others that take your fancy after this. So yeah, Red Rover, what could that ever be? Ooh, who knows? It's, yeah, it's, it's perseverance. We probably posted the picture of it with the episode. <laughs> yes, perhaps if you um, keep listening, you'll hear us persevere into the curiosity of what it could possibly be. That, that pun had quite a lot of ingenuity. Ah, I forgot the name of the last one and I was trying to think of what it was. Well done. There we go. So yeah, Percy. Are we calling him Percy? Him, her? Does he have a gender? That's, no. that, I mean, that could be a question for another podcast. Does it? Does Rover have gender identity? Yes. I guess it depends when robots develop. But anyway, um, I don't know. They are calling it, nicknaming it Percy, yes. I, I believe, so. So yeah, Percy, the Mars rover that has landed on Mars after a nine-month, I believe, journey, slowly whistling through space. It must have been about that. It launched in July? I think last yep. year and it landed about a week ago. So yeah, that? it's about, about eight months, I think, isn't it? That's crazy. So yeah, Perseverance is now on Mars. It successfully landed and its job is to study the kind of rocks and the makeup of the Mars surface to basically figure out if there's things alive or if there were things alive in the past. Which is a really exciting and kind of mad thought that it's that's that's what it's actually doing. You know, we've always talked about Martians and aliens, and now we've got a rover that's actually you know trying to answer those questions. So it's really exciting. Yeah, I find it funny that kind of the concept of you know life on Mars and Martians has been a thing for decades now, right? It's it's been a part of pop culture since I don't know any kind of sci-fi existed. But it was always kind of a bit of a joke, you know? We knew Mars was a red, dead, dusty planet too close to the sun to sustain life. So people kind of said it more as, you know, hyperbole of there's something out there. But now there's actually a chance there is, and it's on the place we put in kind of as the, like, dumb throwaway line. Yeah. Oh, so actually, I mean, that's kind of interesting. I don't, I've never really thought about why it was Mars that we picked as the... Yeah, the pop culture yeah, place where I have no clue. We think of aliens. Because I guess at the time at the time, I don't know when that sort of started. It was probably sort of fifties, sixties, maybe. Mm. Around that sort of Well, it was sixty nine was the moon landing, wasn't it? So it was probably around the sixties. And the I mean race. I imagine just, you know, the phrase Martian rolls off the tongue well compared to like Jupiterian. Venetian Venusian. Venusian. I guess it sounds too much like someone from Venice, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're aliens too. The Pope. <laughs> the first the first rover to come to another planet was the Pope landing in his Pope mobile. Yep. Dan Marco Polo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's the the pop culture question is good, but like, you know, Mars has always been this kind of gold place because it's a physical planet, as in it's not a gas giant or anything. And it's not it's further from the sun than us, therefore, like, it's not going to burn us the second we get there. 
mm. um, compared to Mercury or Venus. Well, Venus and, is just like a swirling ball of poisonous gas, I think, basically. Yeah. Well, that's that. Yeah. So Mars has always been the like we could actually go there, but I think the idea of there actually being life is funny given how much it's been a, I guess, joke for you know half a century. Mm. Well, I guess we for a long time we thought of Mars as just being a barren desert, and yeah. I don't know when they discovered like signs that there was once a lot of water there. Um, I feel like I've known it for quite a long time growing up looking at science shows, so I don't I don't know when it was discovered. But um Yeah, I remember when it was kind of it kept being confirmed, you know, there's definitely water on Mars versus like we think there might be water on Mars. Yes, that's true. Actually, I do, yeah, I do remember that. So yeah. that must have been fairly recent then. I'd like sort. to think it was like twenty fourteen maybe. Yeah, it was definitely in the past yeah. sort of ten, twenty years that they've really honed in on the history. Yeah. But either way, Perseverance is now there to kind of take the, take this to the next level. And I think the most important part of its function, really, is that it poops. <laughs> yeah, I guess in a way it's collecting things, processing it, and then leaving them on the surface. So you could describe yeah. it as Percy poop. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> Sounds too much like Percy pig. <laughs> But yeah, uh, they're basically drilling little rock samples about the size of a stick of chalk. So maths teachers out there just all get very excited. Um, and they get put into a little vacuum sealed, you know, fully kind of pressure controlled tubes that then get littered across the Martian surface. And the idea is one day some other rover, or maybe a human, will go and pick them all up and bring them back to Earth where we put them under an electron microscope and things like that. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's gonna go and drill up these bits, and I think yeah, it's it's, it's analyzing them, and then if it's fa if it finds something interesting, it can drop it off. I don't know, do the yeah. do the tubes have like little beacons on them, or do they just remember where it dropped them? I'm well, I, guess, I guess we can just, just record where where it dropped <clears throat> them, can't we? Yeah, I'm I'm imagining it just remembers. The tubes are very much just kind of like a sealed container that keeps everything at a you know constant kind of not contaminatable. But yeah, the idea is the robot obviously has a lot of things that it can use to scan and analyze, but obviously it's not got, you know, there are certain technologies that are too big or too heavy or whatever that we couldn't fly out to Mars. So to really understand what's out there, we need to eventually bring something back. Mm. Now, the interesting thing with this, if it did find some microbial life and we then brought it back to Earth, is this yes. the start to the plot of some sci-fi horror movie? I mean, it could be. Uh, I think the... I, I would hope that they're not going to be stupid about it. You know, if they bring back and they discover some bacteria, I'd imagine it must stay very contained within whatever. Yeah, I'm sure they will. It just yeah. it sounds like the start of a, uh, a disaster movie, oh, It absolutely movie, does. It? Some kind of foreign sickness that comes in. But, you, you know, one, one could argue, like, the chance of that happening within an asteroid, you know, and we get lots of asteroids like hitting the Earth and burning up in the atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, that is true. One of the loose theories, I'll say, um, for how life started on Earth, I think, was to do with an asteroid hitting and yeah. having life, life on it already. Um, I don't yeah. think they've got really much evidence, but it's just one of those theories. It's like, well, technically it could have happened like that because we don't actually have any evidence to disprove it. 
No, we have no idea. We only know about primordial soup. Mm. Delicious mm. primordial like soup. soup. I'm not getting so soup served up hot from the depths of the ocean with lots of nutrients, and then little single-celled things went around going zoop zoop. Mm. That is the technical term. The zoop soup and the soup soup. Yeah. Yes. But that's the interesting thing with um, with Mars, because basically where they've landed Perseverance is in the Jezero crater, which from satellite imagery and studies looks to be an sort of ancient lake bed and a delta um, mm. at that point. So it's it's the sort of area where, under that theory, life started on Earth. So if it was going to start on Mars, it could, could be there. Yeah, which is very, very interesting. And the crater's... Yeah, where a lake bed was. So you can imagine kind of people have analyzed it and gone, well, if this was on Earth, it would be the same size as this lake. And I actually don't know. Have you seen any kind of comparisons? I have not, actually. That's a very good question. I've not thought of. Cool. Jezero crater. The diameter is 50 kilometers. That's pretty big. So yeah, I mean it's 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 a crater that could, and they they think it was almost definitely a lake bed delta. The the photography is amazing. This is from the orbiters that don't enter the atmosphere, so they float around Mars and take big pictures and stuff. And yeah, I mean it does look like a riverbed, mm. but you can't look at that and say there's never been water there. All the flowing, all the tributaries. There's literally a horseshoe. Riverbend, exactly like you know you learnt in whatever. Is it an Oxbow Lake? Yes, oh, it's a classic. I mean, it, lake. it's not an Oxbow Lake, yet, <laughs> but it will be one day. Nice meander. Yeah, God, I was—I forgot all of those terms. All my geography coming back to me. Yeah, I mean, you look at a lot of the pictures from Perseverance or Curiosity or Opportunity, any of the rovers that have landed on Mars, and it does have the kind of typical shapes and geographies of places on earth that have been yeah. eroded by water so it looks a lot like a dry dead earth to be honest so i, I fully understand why this is all backed up with that but yeah the landing itself it happened on when was it thursday the 18th but yeah it was interesting because the speed of light between here and mars dictates that there is a 12-ish minute latency in everything, right? So you can imagine that would make for some really awful Zoom calls. <laughs> um, you wouldn't be able to record this podcast if one of us was on Mars. No. But in theory, it, well, more, more than theory, in practice, it meant that by the time we found out that the landing was beginning, Perseverance had already landed. Yeah. Or Which in an alternate universe terrifying. had blown up. So I think it's crazy that all that stress and you have that kind of seven, eight minutes of, you know, oh God, I hope this goes right. I hope this goes right. And meanwhile, like, it's done. You're just waiting for the news. It must be, yeah. as, an, as a NASA engineer who's been working <clears throat> on that project for years and years, it must be really terrifying. Oh to, God, yeah, I can imagine it's awful. To be sitting there just thinking it's happened. It's happened, and I don't know the answer yet. Yeah. But they are very clever people, much cleverer than you or I, and they have landed it 
successfully. They have indeed, and it came with the glorious words. Touchdown confirmed. Perseverance, safely on the surface of Mars, ready to begin seeking the sand of past life. Yeah, and hearing those words, because I, I watched it, I believe you watched it as well, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, watched it live. Watched it live, and hearing those words are just, it's very exciting. It is. As I said, the idea of, you know, we're actually looking for signs of life. Sure, they've been trying to look for signs of life in the past, but now they've like, this mission's kind of main directive is to, to look for signs of life. Yeah, and part of that is going to be ingenuity. Yeah, this is a fun, fun little thing. So this is a sort of a tech demo almost, I think, more than anything, this one. But yeah, it's a little small drone-like helicopter, and it's aiming to be the first flight on another world. Yeah, so the first powered flight outside of this. It's, it's, they haven't even been them on the moon, so you know. This is the first powered flight outside of our atmosphere. And... Yeah, I guess they couldn't do them on the moon, could they? Because there's no atmosphere. There's not really any atmosphere, yeah. But yeah, so Ingenuity is actually kind of leading the way for another one of NASA's missions, which is currently slated for launch in 2026. Um, and it's called Dragonfly, and it's going to be ex- journeying to Titan, which is a moon of Saturn. Um, just thought I'd add that one in there. Because, so they, yeah, it's basically going to be a flow, flying rover, basically, thing, I, I believe. Obviously, they're still Very working cool. on it and developing it. It's not going to. It's not going to reach. Um, even if it does launch in 20, 2026, it's not going to reach uh, Titan until twenty thirty four. So we've got a bit of a wait for that one. Oh my god, it's a, a decade. Yeah, Titan is another place where they suspect there could be uh, could be signs of life because it's it's a moon, but it's it's a really interesting one actually. As as a moon, it's it's got liquid oceans, but not of water. Mm. It's got liquid oceans of methane. Because uh, of smelly, because of how cold it is, um, and there's also a lot of ice there. But because of how cold it is, it's it's always been ice. So I don't think there's really any any water. So that's an interesting one. But yeah, that's going to be a uh, that could be some kind of something that lives in methane oceans, though. There could be. You never know. So that's that's an exciting one. As as I said, this is going to be a yeah an eight bladed rotorcraft. So I guess that. Perseverance and ingenuity. I guess a bit of a test test pilot for that. Yeah. But ingenuity is it, it's a, yeah. It sits in perseverance's underbelly, and when it's ready, it gets dropped off, and then it can fly. I believe it can only fly for about ninety seconds. Yeah, it's got a very short fly time, and it does have some of its own panels, I believe. But for the most part, um, it plugs back into Percy and gets charged there. Yeah. So at the moment, it's, it's staying on Perseverance for around 30 to 60 days. They keep on doing these sort of weekly charges on it. Um, so they're slowly charging it up a bit more and a bit more. They're just taking their, taking their time with it um, before it gets deployed. And it, yeah, as I say, it does have its own solar panels. And I think, I'm just reading on the NASA's blog thing, so the helicopter will then have a 30 Martian day experimental flight test window. Okay, so Martian days are basically... That's, regular days. Yeah, that's 31 Earth days, so it's pretty similar. Okay. A Martian day is one day in 37 minutes. Oh, there you go. Mm. Just in case you were interested. But yeah, um, and interestingly, it runs on Linux. <laughs> Thought we'd just toss that in there, let you know. 
Linux is, of course, the operating system used by nerds, and NASA is staffed entirely by nerds. I guess it's not really a surprise there, then, is it? No, not really. But it also it means it's the first um, operating system, I believe, that's like been used out of space. Oh, really? Okay. Because you, know, yeah. you know, like every, I think everything else has been home built by NASA. It's not like you know, Curiosity runs on Windows. I mean, you wouldn't trust it to, would you? No, you would not, <laughs> absolutely. And obviously, like the ISS, they've got, you know, Microsoft and Apple and IBM and whatever products up there. But that's the ISS. Yeah, that's a bit, that's yeah. a bit different. So these long-distance projects are completely different. But yeah, there you go. Built on Linux. Are Linux going to use that as an advert? sort of tagline you know i was i was thinking about it this morning i was thinking did nasa have to get in touch and say hey your license doesn't cover extraterrestrial use (laughs) can you sign off on this real quick i don't know you know like of course they'd have said yes and they'd have probably taken the marketing opportunity but i wonder if a nasa legal guy had to go up to you know the kind of maintainers of linux and just say yeah your license doesn't cover use on mars Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. They probably did. They probably did want to cover yeah. themselves. With I'm it. sure they did. But that, is, that would be quite an entertaining phone call, wouldn't it? In kind of trivia news, people started to discover something, and you, our listeners, may have noticed. The parachute that landed Perseverance ever so uh, lightly and delicately onto the surface of Mars had a kind of fun colour scheme to it. And excitingly, it was found out, I think, you know, people pretty quickly realised there was a code to it. And the parachute was stitched in binary um, for the words dare mighty things, as well as the GPS coordinates for the JPL Visitor Centre. Yeah, this is a fun. I, I I kind of noticed the parachute had a funky pattern to it, but I didn't really think anything of it until I saw some of the uh, news articles about it. But yeah, it's mm. kind of interesting. Yeah, very cool. And it makes you think, like, what other things have they done? I know for a fact that Perseverance has a metal plaque engraved with everybody who worked on it, but it also has a metal plaque with just the names of some random people. So NASA had a thing about four years ago where you could sign up and like just write your name down and they were picking some out of a hat to engrave onto this plaque. Oh, that's cool. It's a bit yeah. like it's a bit like with those building projects where you like get your name engraved on a brick that then like goes into the path. Mm-hmm. I know. Very cool. Um, obviously, you know, to be forgotten about until someone eventually ends up on Mars. But I do believe my housemate James signed up to be upon that plaque. And of huh? course, he'll never know if he was actually. Oh, okay. They didn't. They didn't tell. They didn't send the message out to say you've been chosen. I don't believe so. Um, that's unfortunate because it'd be nice to know. Because you could just get to look up at, at night and think, "Yeah, my name is up on Mars." I mean, I, I'd put it on my. Um, I'd put it on my LinkedIn. Oh yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. All all the bios that would be in. All the bios, yeah. Change, change my Twitter bio from known gamer to name in space or something. Yeah. Known Martian. So yeah, the fact that some names were there to be discovered by people brings us on to the point of 
when are people going to get to Mars? Yeah, I mean, that's another exciting and weird thought, isn't it? SpaceX had, I think they'd originally, or Elon Musk at least, had originally said that they were aiming to get people to Mars by 2024. I don't feel like that's happening. Um, mm, yeah, I have sus on that one too. Yeah, Starship there, so that SpaceX ship, Starship, um, that they're going to use to get people there, is making good progress. Um, it has exploded on the land on its landing a few times, but they, other than that, they've done very well. Like it, it managed to do. So I can't remember when that happened. That was last year, sometimes when it when they did the first like proper flight test and tried to land yeah. it back. But like they, so it went up into the high atmosphere and then managed to come back down and flip round so it was landing correctly. Um, it just didn't quite slow down enough, and I think there was the landing gear didn't deploy or something like that. Yeah, that always seems to be what happens is, you know, just at the end, the landing legs have been too damaged from atmospheric re-entry to properly make it. Yeah. Which, you know, that's a trend we've seen in space, so. Yeah. Yeah, and it blew up spectacularly because of that. But other than that, it was a very successful flight, I, I believe. Um, they've said so. I mean, they are making progress, but I don't. I don't think it's going to be twenty twenty four that we're going to get people there. Because remember, it also takes six to eight, six to nine months to get to Mars, depending on how the orbits yeah. relate. So um, it's a very long time. Yeah, I'm not seeing it likely, but it's it's definitely going to happen at some point soon. You know, NASA is also working on it, but not quite as rushed to do it as uh, Elon Musk is. I don't believe they're they're aiming to get people more people back to the, the moon first. To the yeah, well, they want, what they ground. want is a staging ground on the moon where you can launch things without the whole kind of gravity getting in the way. Yeah, it makes it a bit easier. It can be the Heathrow of space, the moon. Exactly. Heathrow spaceport. <laughs> It'd be funny if it got bought out by whichever company owns Heathrow and they called it Heathrow spaceport. Yeah, that would be kind of entertaining. I mean, these it when it, if this goes commercial, there's going to be adverts, people clamoring all over the place to get advertisement put on these sort of <laughs> things, isn't there? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I'd want a sticker on the rocket. Yeah, I I say I didn't realize that, that about the plaque on the Mars rover thing, but if if I'd known about it, I definitely would have put my name into the hat because yeah, that's extremely too. cool. And I'm sure they'll do stuff like that again in the future. But yeah, landing people on Mars. I mean, this is the first big question. Would you go to Mars? Would I? Um, not quickly. I, 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 I don't know. I, I think it's, it, it's a level of space travel and kind of exploration that I fully support and I'm interested in, but don't really want to do myself, you know? Yeah. I think we, we can't look away from the fact that going to Mars isn't a solution for climate change. <laughs> going to Mars isn't a solution for world poverty, overpopulation, any of those things. So, you know, while it's all well and good to keep pushing our boundaries as a, as a you know, race of animals and conquering another planet is a big part of that. And the scientific discoveries we'll get from it are huge. We need to fix our issues here on Earth. And I don't know. I think that's... If I were to do one of the two, that's what I would be more committed to. How about you? Yeah, I'd probably agree with you um, in general. I'd love to go to space at some point. Um, even oh, me if too. Even I'd if go to just... space, just like local space. Yeah, I think once it gets commercial and not ridiculously expensive, um, maybe later in our lives, 
if we can just go to go into orbit and be able to get to see Earth from space. I'd love to do that. Whether I'd go to Mars or not, I'm not sure. It's just um, yeah, a product design project that puts me in low Earth orbit for a week would be pretty cool. That would be a fun project. Yeah, don't you know could... if they exist, but you know, there you go. I mean, I suppose they do the um, weather balloon stuff, don't they? That's an idea of yeah. your final project, Pablo. <laughs> Become a weather balloon. <laughs> Become a weather balloon. Yeah. But no, I don't think I would go to Mars. I think I, I would love to be able to go to Mars, but I'm not sure I could put up with the the travel time, to be honest. Yeah. No, I, I can barely do 11-hour flights. Yeah, I I get travel sickness from cars and boats. Um, I have on planes as well. So I don't think I'd do very well with going into space in general, to be honest, but it would be cool too. It would indeed. Regardless, we've talked about many a thing today in a kind of, you know, relaxing, chatty Martian episode. Any final thoughts to be mentioned? Um, Not hugely. I mean, as I said, there's a lot of exciting prospects to come from Perseverance. If it, oh, did, yeah. if it did find life, you know, that is, that is groundbreaking. It would be like nothing else ever before. It would give us so many answers about, I guess, how life developed on Earth and the possibilities that there is life all over the rest of the universe as well. So that would be extremely exciting. And I look forward to them finding something out. I, go, I don't think, uh, when I've read stuff, I don't think they would be able to say, like, dig into a rock and go, oh, hey, here's life. I think it's, yeah. it's going to be a lot of sort of, oh, we found something which could be evidence that's when they'll pack it up and drop it off and have to bring it back to Earth before they could confirm anything. But Exactly. I think it'll be really interesting when the headline does finally hit. Yeah. Because I think, you know, we, we've seen how some Americans have reacted to the COVID pandemic in terms of, like, buying guns and preparing for the apocalypse. <laughs> so when, you know, inevitably there's the life discovered on Mars, especially if it's more intelligent than, like, a single-celled kind of amoeba. Mm. You know, if it was like a small bug. Yeah. You know, nothing crazy, just like a basic, like a limpet, a Martian limpet. Yeah, it's not just like a single cell thing. It could be like, a, yeah, like a very, a, a microorganism, I guess. Yeah, a, a, a simple, like a, a, you know, a simple organism, but something that's visible, you know, so it's not kind of a bacteria, but like any, anything, you know, limpets are a good example because mm. they're really basic, but they're there or like. A tardigrade, um, which is just indestructible, apparently. Yeah, a tardigrade. Exactly. Something like that. You know, what will all the kind of apocalypse types do? Yeah, that's a good point. I don't even thought about that. But yeah. yeah. I feel like when the news headline does hit, we'll kind of almost be expecting it, as I said, because it'll be a case of like years before them. And like, they think they might have found some evidence. That'll be a headline. Yeah. And then a few years later, we're like, they brought the evidence back and are now going to study it. Yeah, but I think that'll scare people because it'd be like, oh, we know there's life out there, and then we brought the life back to look at it. Yes, well, that's yeah, that goes back to the my my comment about it being like the start of a horror film. Yeah, it's I think it's going to be a contentious issue, that's for sure. But I'm excited yeah. by it. Me too. Me too. Right. So, if you have enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you never miss an episode. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, family, co-workers, and tardigrade. 
Unlike videos and blogs, podcasts have no algorithm for recommendations, and we rely entirely on your word of mouth. Yes, we do. So follow us on Instagram at assemble.it for a deeper look into the show and our own work, including the behind-the-scenes outtakes, projects, and updates. And also follow us individually on Instagram, because we both post some of our own work uh, on our individual yes. accounts. So do follow us. I'm at Pablo Samoilis, and he's at George Wyeth 99 I am, indeed. Indeed. In fact, I'll be posting about one of my other uni projects today, because I was going to do that a while ago and procrastinated it. That's a classic. That's a classic. <laughs> Once more, remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it among your friends, family, co-workers, and Tardigrade. We'll see you in two weeks with our next episode. Cue outro. Some Assembly Required is co-hosted and produced by Pablo Samoilis and George Wyeth and edited by George Wyeth. Music is by Mikey Burtwistle. This is a 7-6 podcasting production.